Daniel, look at Daniel's prophecy. It's um, somewhere right there, middle, late Old Testament for you. I hope that helps you. (laughs) Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Um, We are, uh, again, starting a new series for Advent. So the the weeks leading up to Christmas, the four weeks in advance of Christmas, and and also including Christmas, we're going to look at this year, the, um, the Advent candles. And um, this is supposed to be a little more accessible, especially for the children. I, I really, I'm really bad at making things accessible to children. It's, it's my fault. It's not your fault. It's me. <laughs> and uh, maybe one of these times we're actually going to have um, maybe a children's sermon. We'll have the kids come up here. You know, it'll be shorter, uh, even more accessible than this, hopefully. But... Um, but I, I actually asked Ransom to help me with my sermon this week so that I could, in conversation with him, try to figure out uh, ways to talk to the kids. So I don't know um, if that means the kids should pay more attention than usual or if they're, they're it's still going to go over their heads. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what, what happens. But uh, I did ask Ransom to help me. He asked, what's the sermon going to be about? I'm sitting there scratching my head. <laughs> Uh, it's, the, it's the hope candle, right? This is the, the first Sunday in Advent. The candle represents hope, the hope that we have in Christ. So I said, hope. Do you know what hope is? I asked him, and uh, after thinking for a while, he said, believing that something's going to happen? I said, that's exactly right. Believing that something's going to happen. It's, it, it's, it's when you believe something, it's something that you want to happen, something that you're looking forward to, happening, something that's better in the future than what's happening right now. Uh, But the way the Bible speaks, it's more than just wanting something to happen. It's believing that it will happen. Believing that it will happen is different from wanting or wishing something good would happen. Believing, it's trusting that it's going to happen. It's finding comfort in the knowledge that something good will happen, right? And so hope, the way the Bible speaks, is, uh, is about our faith, our faith in Christ. Christian hope isn't just positive thinking. It's not just groundless optimism, like, hey, if you just keep thinking positive, things are, good things are going to happen. It's, Christian hope is a response to who Jesus is, who he's already revealed himself to be. And it's a listening to what he has to say about what our future will be like, our future with him. Um, and it's trusting him, and it's trusting what he has to say. So Christian hope means that, um, that there is a glorious future promised for us in Christ, and it means living like that future is more real to us than our present sufferings. In fact, it's even more real to us than the present blessings that we experience. The glorious future that's been promised to us, what hope means is that we live like that is more real, that that is more true, that that is more definitive of my life now than than my present circumstances, the sufferings, the hard times, or even the blessings. So hope is what we're talking about this morning. Hope is one of these, these beautiful things that Christians have by God's grace that people who are not Christians can actually be intrigued by and ask us about uh, or might, might wonder how to get it for themselves because, because our hope, the, the beautiful thing that Christians possess by God's grace called hope, our hope gives us confidence, it gives us peace, 
It even gives us joy in, in very hard times in life. It helps us to be settled, believing uh, the future that God has in store for us. So hope is a big part of the Christian faith. God wants us to have hope. So that's what we'll talk about this morning from Daniel's prophecy. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, you are good. You have revealed yourself in so many ways to be good, to be exactly what we need, even if we don't expect it, even if we we want something that doesn't align with your plans for us and who you are. Um, Your plans and who you are, it's better than we could imagine. So we pray that you would reveal yourself to us now, that you would give us real hope in accordance with your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 18. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet, like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked... Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me, made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a long passage. There's a lot of symbolic language in a passage like this. The big fancy word for language like this in the Bible is apocalyptic, which means that it's symbolic. It's meant to reveal something about God and reveal something about the way things are. But it uses symbolic language. And I know there's probably a lot of kids who don't even know what that means. Uh, symbolic language, it's, it's, um, it's like this. When you're doing what you're not supposed to be doing and you call someone a chicken, right? <clears throat> you, you call somebody a chicken and you laugh at them. You're not saying that because they look like a chicken, right? Because they're short and squat and have wings and walk around real funny and, you know, move their neck weird. You're not saying you're a chicken because you look like a chicken, right? You're saying you're a chicken because you act like a chicken. And what do chickens do? When you go up to them, they run away. It doesn't matter. They're just terrified. They always run away, right? You try to catch a chicken and it just runs and runs and it's scared, right? So you call someone a chicken, it's because they're scared all the time, right? It's because they act like a chicken. So when you call someone a monster, what? You call someone a monster, what does that mean? They have <clears throat> purple fur and big horns and teeth? No, you, you call someone a monster because they're mean. Because they act like a monster. They don't act like a human being. And so, you call someone a beast when they're savage, when they're wild, when they're destructive, when they're inhuman. Right? So you call someone a beast because they're acting like a beast, like a wild animal, not like a human being. So this is a pretty scary picture because we've got these four beasts, right? And these are not normal beasts, right? These are altered beasts. These are, these are scary. So you've got a fierce lion that can also fly because it has eagle's wings. That's terrifying, right? There's nowhere to hide from that one. Um, you've got a huge, vicious, deformed bear. It's, it's lopsided. It's like higher on one side. It's kind of like a hunchback, scary, deformed creature that is crunching on a carcass. It's crunching on bones, and it's always hungry. That's kind of scary. Uh, you've got a, a lightning-fast mutant leopard with four wings and four heads. I mean, fast, and you can't run away from that. <clears throat> so, and then a fourth beast that's so powerful and so terrifying that it actually just defies description. It's just not like these ones, uh, but it destroys everything. And, um, and these beasts are coming out of the sea. These beasts are coming out of the sea, which means a lot of things. We can't get into everything that these things symbolize or whatever. But, um, but it's kind of like a horror movie. There's something wrong when beasts like this come out of the sea. When land beasts, 
land animals emerge from the sea. It's kind of scary. As Jubilee would say, that's creepy, <laughs> right? It's, it's creepy. This is scary. But these things aren't meant to give us nightmares of these fantastical creatures. You're not just supposed to be fixated on the, the terror that these creatures represent. These, these are meant to describe certain people and certain kingdoms. To say that these people and these kingdoms, these kings, these rulers, and these, these power structures, these, these powers that are at work in the world, these empires, these are going to behave like these terrible beasts. They're not going to behave like human beings. They're going to behave like these terrible beasts. So Daniel, Daniel's the one who's having this vision that God is giving him in the night. It's like a dream. It's like a vision. Uh, hard for us to understand if we've probably never experienced anything like this. But Daniel was a member of the church in the Old Testament. Daniel was a member of the church. That means he's one of God's people, and they, they, that was the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And, uh, and he and God's people had been conquered by Babylon. Babylon was this terrible, terrible kingdom that did uh, great evil and great wickedness to the people that uh, they conquered. They were conquered by Babylon. Daniel was taken away from his family as a young child. He was taken away from his homeland. Not even just his home or his home city, but his home country. He was taken away into another country, into a, into a foreign city, uh, made to learn a new language, a new, um, a new way of life, made to live a, a different kind of life, a very different kind of life than what he had known before as a child. And he worked, eventually, I mean, he worked a long time in the government of Babylon. And then when Babylon itself was taken over by the, the Medo-Persian Empire, he worked for that government too. Right? So he worked for some of the most power-mad, brutal tyrants the world has ever seen. The worst people in history. And God blessed Daniel with great wisdom. And, uh, and that wisdom made him very valuable to the very scary people who were in power. To the very scary kings and emperors who uh, ruled over God's people. God blessed Daniel with wisdom which made him valuable to them. But you've got to imagine this, this whole thing is... It's a terrible life for him. It's a hard life for him, full of uncertainties and, and um, insecurity and fear, right? He had this vision, this vision that's written here, 550 years before Jesus Christ was born. Right? So he's seeing history unravel from his point forward until the point of Jesus Christ, at least, until that time. So, 550 years before Christ was born, and he had this vision when Belshazzar was king and Babylon was still the empire that was ruling pretty much the whole known world at the time. Belshazzar was the last Babylonian king before the Medo-Persians took over. But. So, Daniel had served multiple kings already and would serve more kings in, this, in these governments that were terrible to work for, with these people who were terrible to work with. Daniel had served Nebuchadnezzar, that's maybe a familiar name to you just because it's strange, right? Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon who took over Israel and, and brought Daniel and his friends to live in Babylon with them, right? So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Daniel had served Nebuchadnezzar, who was this former king of Babylon, 
And the first beast is a symbol of him. The first beast in this vision is a symbol of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the proud ruler of a monstrous kingdom. And he didn't think he needed God. Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm so great, I'm so powerful, I'm so glorious. And he was talking about himself as if he were God. So the true God made Nebuchadnezzar crazy, and he acted like a beast. He acted like a beast. He went around on all fours like an animal. He was eating the grass off the ground until his hair was like, the Bible says, it was like eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws, right? So there's some of that imagery here in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And then God put him back in his right mind. That's what the Bible actually says, is that God restored his sanity and made him act like a man again. God, God made Nebuchadnezzar think and stand up and act like a human being. He's a human being who had been acting like a beast. God, God made him act like a human being again, and Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, and he praised God, and he talked about how God's kingdom is the true kingdom. And God's dominion is everywhere and forever. God rules over all things, and he always will. So here's Nebuchadnezzar, who's one of the most powerful rulers in the world, who had made life miserable for Daniel and for Daniel's friends and for all Daniel's people, for God's people. Nebuchadnezzar had acted like a beast, but God had restored his humanity. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, God is the true king. God is the true king. And so when Daniel had this vision of the four beasts, the four kingdoms and kings, which is what that that, the angel that he's talking to toward the end reveals, that's what these beasts are. They're four kings or four kingdoms, right? When Daniel had this vision, he already knew who the first one was because he had already seen that whole thing go down with Nebuchadnezzar, right? So I won't go into detail about the other three beasts, but they represent the next three major empires that pretty much ruled the known world. Everywhere that was sort of civilized, that they, they, they knew about, they conquered, they ruled uh, during their times. So it's the Medo-Persians, and you've got kings like Darius and Cyrus and Artaxerxes, who's the king uh, in the book of Esther. Ahasuerus or Artaxerxes is that king. That's the Medo-Persian Empire. The, Median, uh, the, the Medes and the Persians together, the Medes were weaker than the Persians, which is why you have the picture of a lopsided bear that's vicious and crunching bones. Um, the, the Greeks would be the third beast, the one that's the leopard, right? And the leopard is the, the quickness, the speed of this king, this, this emperor and his empire spreading through the earth. Alexander the Great was the Greek who conquered pretty much the whole world before he was 30 years old. Like, I'm already past that age. I can't imagine somebody leading armies that swept over the whole face of the earth. But he did it before he was 30 years old. And then when he died at a very young age, I think he was like 32, um, after his death, four of his generals took and split his kingdom four different directions. That's why you've got the imagery of the four heads of this leopard um, and the four wings of it. So, but the, the last beast described is the, the Roman Empire, the Romans who ruled during the time of Christ. So these, 
These were empires that did terrible things to their enemies, right? Who ruled through destructive power and through fear. They were not acting like human beings ought to act to one another. They were acting like beasts, tearing every, everybody and everything apart in their search for power and their hunger for power. So Daniel was stuck working alongside their leaders for his whole life. It was a long life. He was captured and carried away into captivity in, uh, in the year 605 B.C. And then I think it's like 539 that uh, the last parts of the book of Daniel mentioned. So it's like 70 years that, no, what is that? 60 years that he's in Babylon serving in the government. <clears throat> so uh, for his whole life, he's working aside their, their leaders, seeing them do terrible things. And Daniel's people, God's people, were threatened by these leaders. They were threatened by these powers. These kingdoms were a real threat to God's people. So these were scary times to be a member of the church. To be one of God's people was a scary time for them. And there are a lot of times when the church is threatened like this. There are a lot of times when Christians, when God's people, are threatened like this by people who are no longer acting like human beings but acting more like predatory animals. When the whole world seems carried away and just wild and forces that are out of control. When life is scary and hard, and that's when we need hope. That's when we most need hope. When life is scary and hard. And that's what God gives to Daniel in this vision, and that's what he shares with us. Daniel, the next thing he saw in his vision, thrones. Thrones being placed, that is to say, true power. Heavenly power is true power. He's seeing the heart of reality, and he's seeing the the true power that exists. He sees the Ancient of Days, that is the everlasting God, the God who has been around forever and so is uh, so good and so powerful and so wise uh, that it's good that this God is the power behind all powers, right? God is pure. That's what he means by, in this vision, his clothing is as white as snow. It's a picture of God's purity, the Ancient of Days. He's wise. That's what it means when it says that the hair of his head was like pure wool, bright white. It's like you're supposed to get wiser as you get older, and as you get older, you get gray and white hairs, and that's kind of supposed to symbolize that you You probably know a thing or two now. You've been around the block. You you see things differently. You've got more wisdom, right? The Ancient of Days has all wisdom. And and he's holy in his power. His throne was fiery flames. And he has universal power because his throne is on wheels. There's a couple times that you see that in, in the Old Testament, the scriptures. His throne, the seat of his power, can go anywhere and everywhere because it's on wheels, right? Uh, Ransom said, if you didn't know better, you'd think God was an old man speeding around in a burning wheelchair because the whole thing's on fire, right? It's like, yeah, somebody should draw a cartoon of that. Hopefully that wouldn't be blasphemous to suggest, but uh, it, it's a pretty serious picture, actually. Um, if you saw what Daniel saw, I mean, it says he was anxious and alarmed because of these visions. Like, this is a big deal that he's seeing this stuff. And it says a, a small part of the world's population serve him. So a thousand times a thousand, that's a million. It's it's representative. It's not to say exactly a million. 
is to say, compared to 10,000 times 10,000, it's a fraction. It's 1%, right? And 10,000 10, times 10,000 doesn't just mean 100 million. It means everybody, right? Everybody. So a fraction of the world's population serve God, but the whole world stands before God for his judgment. That's what this picture is. God sees every detail of every single life just as if he were reading it out of a book. That level of clarity. God knows every single person who has ever lived, who lives now, or who will ever live. And he sits in judgment over all of us. And he snuffs out the life of the most powerful rulers on earth just like that. That little horn that was talking big, that, that final beast. It's kind of a mysterious thing, but the Roman emperor who, uh, who talked a big game, he kept on talking, and then God looks over and phew, gone. Right. Even the most powerful people in the world. <clears throat> so God strips them of their power because this is the real power. He strips them of their power to do any true harm to his people even though he allows them to persist for a while. So the beasts are able to survive, and that means they're probably thrashing around and still causing damage to some degree. These beasts, these people that are acting not like human beings, these kingdoms, these powers in the world, they're still alive, but they don't have any real power. Their dominion was taken away from them. And that means when God's people have suffered under brutal forces that are beyond our control. They're just wild. When God's people have suffered, these forces only have power so long as God allows. And in fact, they can't do you any real harm even if they're causing you pain. Even if you're suffering because of these things, they can't really do you any harm. Their power has been stripped from them because God is the one who's in control over all powers. And here's the best part, kind of getting to the hopeful part. Starting in verse 13, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So here comes in this vision, this is a glorious vision, here comes not a wild beast, not a ruler like the rulers of this world, not a cruel, inhuman tyrant, a true human being, one like a son of man, a true human being. He's a son of man, it says he's one like a son of man. So that's a little bit strange, right? And he comes with the clouds of heaven, which means this man comes from heaven with heaven's glory cloud. And as you read the Bible, you see the, the one that that always applies to is God himself. God is the one who comes in clouds. He's surrounded by clouds. And so this one comes with the clouds of heaven, from heaven, with heaven's own glory cloud, I mean, Daniel had a vision of Jesus Christ, who is the God-man. The true man whose origin was not earth, 
but heaven itself, because he's also the true God. Right. So the Son of Man is, um, is Jesus' favorite way of talking about himself. He uses that title for himself so many times in the Gospels. And you might be scratching your head, what does it mean? Why does he use that? It's a bit mysterious, but it's wonderful because it's a reference to the one great hope of God's people, the great hope of God's people that someone who finally would have the mind and actions of a true human being would come and that to him would be given God's own power. God's own power, God's own kingdom and dominion and power would be given to him and it would be a kingdom that would extend over everyone everywhere forever. Daniel had no idea how long this would take, these visions, how long it would take for them to play out, how long these kingdoms would take to rise and fall. But the very good news was that one day God would put a new king on the throne, and he did. He's already done it. In the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came, unlike any earthly ruler, he appeared powerless. He was homeless. He suffered under the the forces of this world, the beastly, cruel, animal-like tyrants of this world. He suffered. And he served. He didn't just hoard power for himself or use power to get you to serve him. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He laid down his life. A few of his disciples saw him once on the mountain, which we read in our gospel reading, with the blinding, pure, white clothing. And in this vision, that's the Ancient of Days. That's the description that applies to him. So he's got a divine description on the mountain, and then also with the clouds of heaven as the Son of Man. He refers to himself that way in that text also, the transfiguration. So he was a true man. He was a good king. He was God incarnate in the flesh, coming to the world to be our hope, to fulfill all of our hopes, a good king who laid down his life for his people. And after his death, after he died on the cross, he was raised to a new life, life that would never be taken away from him. He was raised immortal and invincible, and he ascended into heaven. He ascended into heaven. And this is what Peter says in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So he's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of all lords, and this has already happened. This is past tense. It was future to Daniel. It was 550 years future to Daniel. That's a long time to wait. But for us, it's past, and it's the present. Jesus Christ is currently seated at God's right hand, ruling over all things for the sake of his people. But our future hope, even though these things are past and present to us, our future hope is actually still here in Daniel's vision. At the very end, Daniel is afraid. He's asking the, the angel. Um, we assume it's an angel that he's talking to in this vision. He's asking to explain the vision, and the angel says, These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. 
Not the Son of Man shall possess and receive. It's the saints who shall receive the kingdom and possess it. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the eternal ruler of heaven and earth, the true king, he's our representative. He's our representative. And this is our hope. And this is what we believe will happen. As Ransom says, hope is believing that something will happen. This is our hope, that everything that's true of Jesus Christ as a human being will be true of us. Everything that's true of Jesus Christ as a human being will be true of us. Because Jesus suffered for us as our representative, even though we suffer, we know that our sufferings have no real power over us because he's conquered all of that. He's conquered death and hell itself. Our sufferings and those who would inflict sufferings upon us have no real power over us, even death itself, because of Jesus. Because Jesus was given resurrection life, life that will never be taken away from him again, because he was given that life, we know that we will be raised and will be made like him. Because Jesus is seated in heaven right now, we have the sure hope of glory in his eternal kingdom. We have the sure hope. This is not just something that we wish would happen. This is something we believe will happen because of Jesus. You will be high kings and queens over the universe at his side. Paul draws this out in a few ways. In 1 Corinthians, he says, all things are yours. Whether the world or life or death or the present or the future, all things are yours because you are in Christ. And he says again that the saints, God's people, people in the church, the saints will judge the world. We're going to exercise God's own judgment on his behalf. We're going to judge angels, Paul says. Everything that has happened with Jesus, who right now is seated on God's own throne as a human being, the human king, the true human king, everything that's happened with Jesus will happen with us because he's our representative and we're connected to him because we trust in him. Right? And that's our great hope. That's something promised. It's not yet possessed. Daniel didn't know how long he and God's people would have to wait. It would be 550 years before uh, the first coming of the Lord into the world, but he did come. We don't know how long we'll have to wait before Jesus will come again to wipe away every tear, the Bible says, to take away all of our grief, all of our broken dreams, all of our disappointments, all of our rage, all of our fear, all of our self-hatred, all of our pain. He's going to take it all away. He will come, and he will wipe away every tear, and the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. We trust Jesus, so we trust that it's all going to be true, and we take comfort in knowing these things, that that these things will happen, and we have confidence and peace and joy because of our hope in Christ. So living as a Christian um, means having hope, and it, it actually means more than just having hope. It means also giving hope. Being a Christian means giving hope. Paul Tripp says um, in a book called uh, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, giving hope is about helping a person see the Lord. Suffering commands our attention and clouds our vision. 
we all need someone to remind us that life is not defined by our pain, but by our union with Christ. Our union with Christ and the glorious future that's promised in him, our true hope, is more real, more definitive of our lives than all of the most confusing, overwhelming pain that you could be experiencing right now. And you need someone to remind you of it, and you need to remind others of it. Right? We need others to remind us of our hope in Christ, and we need to help others with that hope as well. So, we light candles at Advent because Jesus Christ is the light of the world, come into the world at Christmas time, coming again soon, we hope, as the dawn of the new heavens and the new earth, and we light the candle of hope because in Christ we have a sure hope, a light through the darkness of this world's sufferings. So embrace that hope and give it to others as well. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, you are our hope. You're our great hope. You, um, because of who you are, you're the God-man. And because of your character, your nature, the things that we know about you because of your word and the things that you have done that have been revealed to us in your word in the scriptures, we, we see who you are and what you've done for us already. And it is the sure foundation for a great hope. We know that one day you will come again to fully establish your, king, your kingdom on earth. And we look forward to that day, and not just because... Um, We'll experience a lot of good benefits, having been your people and, um, and ruling by your side, but because all of our humanity will be fulfilled in that moment, because our relationship with you will become right and perfect and true and never suffer again, because we'll see you face to face, and, and the whole world will be made right in ways that we cannot even imagine because of your coming again into the world. We long for that day more than wishing that it would come. We know that it will come. We pray that you would help us where our faith is weak and help our friends and our family where their faith and where their hope is weak as well. Reveal your Son, Christ, to us, our Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.